Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses, in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father God, we we again thank you for this day. Um, God, we thank you um, for um, specifically for for the ways that you are moving uh, in our fellowship, um, the things that you are doing even now. God, again, we we thank you for this this opportunity that we've had over the weekend to um, to learn about um, uh, ESL training, um, God, and to see opportunities that you are opening up um, with different groups of people um, all around the country, but certainly even here in our own area. Um, God, ways to engage um, those who are from other countries, um, to share the gospel with them. God, truly, um, you have ordained in your plan for for our time and our nation that, that the nations are coming to us, God, that as we um, certainly consent, continue to send uh, missionaries and witnesses out to the world, we find that the world is, is coming to us uh, and, and that they are our neighbors um, even. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to recognize those opportunities and to take advantage Manage those opportunities um, to share um, the gospel with with these people who are around us to to help them as as sojourners um, in our country um, and to um, got to serve them and to help them as we can, um, but got also to to witness to them um, and uh, in hopes that that um, not only will they um, come to know Jesus Christ and be saved, God, but that, that will begin um, a chain reaction um, and that they will share with their families um, and that. Who knows what could happen um, beyond those things, God. God, we also pray right now um, as we have um, representatives from our church over at Maribel College um, who are um, participating in their church and community um, uh, picnic. Um, God, we pray that uh, you would use that to um, just make friendships and 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 um, give us divine appointments that that we would meet people who are looking for a church, uh, maybe people who are um, interested in, in knowing more about um, 
faith uh, and who Jesus is. Um, God, and just give us open doors uh, on Maryville College campus. Um, we know um, that it is a difficult um, place and, and in many ways um, a place that is, is standoffish um, to, to things of the faith. Um, but, God, we ask that you soften hearts and open up doors for us to serve in those places. God, we thank you in general for, for um, the, the work that you are doing in our community. God, that churches in this area um, every single Sunday uh, that are preaching the gospel, um, that even though they, they have different understandings of, of particular doctrines, God, that, we are, that all those churches that we are in alignment with um, in terms of what the true gospel is and the saving message of Jesus Christ, God, we ask a blessing on those churches, um, that you would draw people to those churches, that they would hear um, the good news, that they would believe and be saved, and that they would grow in those places um, and become fellow witnesses um, to, to your son in our community. Um, God, we pray for all those churches, um, and we ask that you would prosper uh, and, and work through um, any church that, that, that preaches your gospel. Um, we thank you for this time. We thank you for our congregation, and we ask that you would bless us. Open your word to us now. Shine the light of the Holy Spirit on this text. Let us know it um, right Rightly and truly, and believe it deeply in our own lives. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, if you got your Bibles and you're not already there, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And so um, we are going to be um, looking at a passage that, in, in probably in a very clear way, um, uh, describes to us the message of the gospel. All right. And so one of the central questions, one of the most important questions that we can ask as believers is, what is the gospel? Right. Um, what is the good news? What is the essential message of salvation in Jesus Christ? And, and we need to know that for at least a couple of reasons. Right. Number one, we need to have a clarity on that because we need to know it's for our own salvations. Right. We need to know what the gospel is so that we can believe on it ourselves. But also we need to know it so that we can rightly share it with other people, that we can tell people the true gospel um, and invite others into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so when you start looking at, at sort of boiling the gospel down to what it actually, um, what the core message of the gospel is, a lot of times these different little um, kind of ways of remembering it um, or ways of presenting it will, will pop up, and you'll see them in literature and stuff. So one that you often see is this, this sort of formula of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. All right. And so um, that's that's one that we we kind of you'll see out there. If, if you were to look up right now on the Internet, you know, uh, a, a simple presentation of the gospel, a lot of them would kind of follow that pattern. I prefer uh, and use a lot of times one by a guy named Greg Gilbert, who wrote a little book called What is the Gospel? And his is his is the little thing to help you remember is God, man, Christ, response, kingdom. All right. And so he adds a little piece there at the end, which we're going to talk about that. Um, and it's just a helpful way to write. If you're if you're to as you're as you're talking to somebody, you know, in that moment, man, all these thoughts start coming into your head and you're not exactly sure what to say and and what to address. And it's a way for you to kind of think in your head and say, OK, these are the core things that I need to to get across if I'm trying to explain the gospel to somebody in a, in a, in a concise kind of way. 
Um, and if you're looking to the scriptures for a place in the scriptures that man just kind of like lays that out in a very short amount of space, because obviously we can look all over the place and find the gospel. Um, the, the book of Romans is famous for that, right? There's this thing called the Romans road, right? And so you kind of start in this place in Romans and read this verse, and you go a couple chapters over and read this, and then you come back and, and you, and you see the message of the gospel laid out all over Romans. But if you're looking for one place, like one passage that sort of encapsulates the message of the gospel, there's a few places that we go to in the New Testament. Romans 3 is a great place. 1 Corinthians 15 is a pretty good place. But I think probably Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is the clearest most complete. It's not, it's not as, there might be some other things that we would add in there um, to clarify some things, but the most complete picture of the gospel in one place in the New Testament, okay? And so what I want to do today is walk through Ephesians chapter 2, um, 1 through 10. Number one is a reminder to ourselves of the central message of the gospel, right? But also as sort of an example of the way that you could share the gospel with somebody going through the scriptures, right? That you could sit down with somebody in a Bible and open up to Ephesians chapter 2 and read through that passage with them and talk about it with them and see the gospel message laid out there in that passage. Um, And then at the very end, we're just going to real briefly talk about apostasy. Okay, and that's something that if you're if you kind of follow Christian, you know, news and blogs and some things like that, there's been a little bit of talk of that in the last couple of weeks because there have been several kind of high profile pastors and Christian celebrities that you would say who have apostatized. They have said, I'm no longer a believer. I'm walking away from the faith and and I'm rejecting um, the Christian faith. And so we're just going to talk about that just for a second, because I think um, it intersects with the message of the gospel in, in a pretty. Um, specific way. Okay. So, um, in that sort of God, man, Christ response kind of model, um, you might typically, again, you would think so you would typically start with God. You would start with explaining who God is and, and different characteristics of God. And, and that sort of gives you a base in Ephesians. We sort of jump right into the sinful man part of it. Okay. But we're going to see God's character in um, mixed in and inferred in these passages, okay? And so we didn't really skip over God. Um, God's in this, but we're sort of um, jumping directly into our sin situation. And you, and you see that there starting in verse 1, okay? So the first thing he says is this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, okay? So notice, the first off, the dual description there, all right? You were dead... In your trespasses and sins, all right. So, so not just mostly dead, right? Like, uh, like the Princess Bride, right? Like, not just not not Miracle Max is like he's mostly he's not mostly dead. You're dead, dead, right? This is completely dead, actually dead. Okay, um, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But then there's a question. You could say, cool. Well, what do dead people do? And the answer is. Nothing, right? Dead people are dead, okay? Um, and there's something to, to recognize there, something that people sometimes misunderstand about this whole human predicament that we are in, right? Sin has killed us spiritually. Sin has killed us dead spiritually, all right? If you are spiritually dead, you need resurrection, 
you need to be made alive again, right? You don't just need to get your act together. You don't just need to make better life choices, right? You need to be resurrected. You need new life, okay? Um, But look at these dead people because there's an interesting double nature to these dead people. It says not only that they we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but then it says these are the trespasses and sins in which you walked. All right? So it's like I thought dead people did nothing, but these dead people seem to be willfully acting, right? They are walking in these sins and these trespasses. So um, what do we call a dead person who walks around with sort of a volitional compulsion? Zombies, right? Okay, like we have we have this picture in our head, this thing in our culture, right? They're dead, and yet they are moving, right? They they want something. They are seeking after something, right? The Bible is kind of presenting us as lost people like zombies, right? We are spiritually dead, and yet there is still this activity there. We are seeking out something in our lives. Maybe a better uh, picture, at least for me, as 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 a nerd is. And I was talking with Caleb last week. Caleb's reading. Um, the two towers right now, right? There's this great scene, and just for the record, real quick, if you've never seen or read The Lord of the Rings, you're going to miss a lot of my illustrations, okay? Like, you should you should go ahead and, like, watch the movie and read the book, because I reference it, like, about every second or third sermon, okay? So in The Two Towers, there's this king of, of Rohan named Theoden, right? And when we first meet Theoden, he's this old, decrepit man, and he is being whispered to by this character named Wormtongue, right? And, and Wormtongue Tongue just kind of comes, and it seems to be the case that anything Wormtongue says, then King Theoden agrees with and lives out, right? And there's this great scene, and it's the reason why The Two Towers is my favorite of the three of the trilogy, is there's this great scene that is functionally a conversion. It's a beautiful picture of conversion, I think, um, where, where Gandalf comes and he basically calls out the, the, the evil that is controlling him, right? And there's this great scene where he goes literally from being this decrepit, dying old man, and then, and then it's like the, the age disappears from his face and he's young again, right? He's made alive again, right? And it's just, I think there's a beautiful picture there of conversion. But that's the same kind of situation that we're in, right? We are dead men and dead women, right? And we have this influence, though, that is out there that is still compelling us, right? And we're seeking after it. We're agreeing with it, right? We're not, we're not even fighting it. We are willfully obeying, as these zombie dead people, this voice that is out there, okay? And so see how the Bible tends to talk about your predicament as a lost person without Christ, right? When it comes to choosing life and salvation, you are dead, You're incapable of choosing those things, right? Dead people don't choose stuff, right? They're just dead. But when it comes to choosing sin, you're actually very active, right? Um, You want sin. You seek after sin. You're very much alive when it comes to seeking after sin. And the Bible sort of holds both these things out there like they're true. If you're talking about choosing life and goodness for yourself, you're dead and incapable. But if you're talking about choosing sin and and evil, then you actually want those things and you seek after them. That's the problem, right? That is the situation that we find ourselves. You have been actively following something as a lost person. In fact, three things. In fact, you could say three tyrants. Three things have been ruling your life, and that's what we see in this next passage. 
The first two are called the Aeon and the Archon, which would make a great techno band name, I think, right? The Aeon and the Archon, all right? The Aeon means, it's what we see there in that first place. It says the following the course of the world. Right. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Course. It's it's talking about something, the idea of like the way of the world. You could even say the spirit of the age in some ways. The zeitgeist is, is the German word we use. The age that we live in or the age that anybody lives in is almost personified. Right. It's almost like it's a person. It's almost like it has a spiritual identity and personhood. In fact, that's probably the case. This passage is probably pointing to the idea that we're going to see a little bit further down the road that there are spiritual forces out there that are influencing things in ways that we don't completely understand. And what happens is people begin to get swept up in these things in any given era of human history. Okay, and so, for example, um, we can think of something like Nazi Germany in in Eric Metaxas's uh Uh, biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He talks a lot in it about how Bonhoeffer recognized in the the, the late 20s and the early 30s about this sort of movement that became Nazism, right? And people all over the country were looking at it and seeing these weird things happen, like, you know, things that they would have never thought could have happened in in their, their republic, right? And then they sort of go, well, that was crazy, but certainly it's just a one-time kind of thing, right? And then something else crazy would happen, and then something else crazy would happen. And then all of a sudden they were sitting in the midst of Nazi Germany, right? And people like Bonhoeffer said, man, it's bizarre that we went from, became this kind of nation within the course of eight or ten years, right? Um, I think you've seen something like that in our own country, really in the whole world, in terms of, of, of gender and sexuality issues in the last few years, right? So we have essentially a, an understanding of gender and sexuality that, in general, would have been agreed upon by the entire world for the last 4,000 years. Every culture, every religion, every worldview, everybody in the entire world, in general, I mean, again, there's always going to be people, individuals that, that would that have their own um, uh, agenda. But in general, everybody agreed. And then within the course of about three or four years, to believe that makes you a bigot and a crazy person and and archaic and all these things like that. And you go, how is that possible? How does 4,000 years of consensus disappear in three or four years? And what I would say is, at least in part, the spirit of the age. There is something at work in our age on a spiritual level that is happening, right? Um, and it's the kind of thing that we have been following and the world follows, right? We get swept up in this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden we just start going, I think, just like the world does, okay? That's the first thing that we notice is this, this thing that we zombies have been following. The spirit, the aeon, the course, the, the spirit of the age, right? Second, it says, we have been following the prince of the power of the air. All right? So that is the archon. That's, that's what prince, the word prince. Uh, we've been following this archon, this ruler of the power of the air. And that, that person, even though it does not say so, is none other than Satan himself. All right? Um, again, as we go through Ephesians, this is going to be obvious if you don't already believe it. The demonic exists, right? There are spiritual forces in, in, 
the, the heavenly realms, not heavenly as in the place of God, but the, the, the behind the scenes spaces, right? And they are adversarial to God. There are forces out there that are adversarial to God. They are working against his kingdom. Um, and they are trying to destroy um, the things that he wants and the plans that he has, okay? But I, I think there's this interesting little, just little nugget here, right? So it says, where is this prince's kingdom? Well, just in your head, in your imagination, where does Satan live? Right? He lives underground, right? You know, he lives in these caves of darkness and lava and fire. That's, that's where Satan lives, Right? Except that's not what we see here, right? He's not the prince of the subterranean, right? Where is he the prince of? He's the prince of the power of the air, all right? So where, where is the air? Well, it, it's that place that's not earth, and it's not heaven. It's, it's this in-between space, right? And what I would say is this. The devil is here, right? He's amongst us, okay? He is working Amongst us, okay? He's not hidden away somewhere, right? He is at work in our midst. And the Bible says we are following him as lost people. That's part of our problem. We are seeking after what he is doing, okay? He is leading us in these things, okay? And then there's a third thing that it says. So it also says that Satan is that he is that spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We Fallen humanity are the sons of disobedience. Okay, that's us, right? But then notice what it then says. It says, verse 3, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of both body and mind. All right? So we might have a tendency, if we had just read those, the Archon and the Aeon, we might have a tendency to say this about our sin. You know what? It's not really my fault. Because I just got swept up in what was going on in the world. I got pulled along with the flow, and I couldn't help myself. Or you know what? The devil tricked me. That's what it was. Like, I wouldn't have done these things on my own. The devil tricked me. It's not really my fault at the end of the day. But the third thing that Witt's pointed out to us is this. No, you are following after the lusts of your flesh and of your body and of your mind. You are seeking after these things. These are things that are coming from you, okay? And so it's not wrong to point to the influence of the world and Satan on our actions, right? But at the same time, there is a responsibility that we bear personally for our sin, right? We have not just been victims of sin, right? We are participants in that, And so that's the situation that we are in, right? We are dead, and yet we are rebels at the same time. Um, We are seeking after the things of the world and the things of Satan and the things of self. And that's one of these passages that you you hear that as kind of like a a triple thing sometimes. We're fighting against sin and Satan and self. Uh, we're fighting against the world and Satan himself or whatever. That's, 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 this is one of the places that we get that idea from. Okay? And then notice the consequences. What are the consequences for this threefold following of age and ruler and flesh? We are by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. By nature, that means, uh, you could translate it this way. It is fitting, or it is right, or it is normal. What is the normal state for a humanity that is dead in their sins and trespasses and has rebelled against God? The answer is, we are children of wrath. Right? We are people who are waiting for God to bring judgment upon us. That's, that's who we are. Okay? Again, that's the predicament that we're in. This is the, you could say it this way, this is the bad news before we get to the good news. 
of the gospel. Okay, and so Paul is just laying this very clearly out the, the the situation that we find ourselves. Okay, but then we get to verse four, and those two little words, but God. All right, without a doubt, two of the most uh, foundational words in all of Scripture. Right, um, you could say these are the hinges of the gospel. Right, this is the that the, the, the gospel swings on those two words, but. God. We have wrecked this thing, but God is going to come and fix this thing. And so what is God going to do? But God, being rich in mercy, because of our because of the great love which we, with which he loved us. All right? God is going to do something about our predicament, right? Not us. Not the zombie rebels. Band name number two. Okay, Um, not we're not the ones who are going to do something. We are incapable of that. Right. We are unwilling, in fact, to fix our own predicament. Right. We are willfully following all those things that are killing us. But God will fix it. Why? Because of his mercy and his great love for us, because of who he is, not because of who we are. Right. Not because we have done anything. All we have done is rebelled against him. But because of his mercy and his love, he is going to do these things. And look at what he has done, right? And it's, I love how these things, the, the, the pairing that we see in the scripture when you start looking. In light of our need and in light of, of his love, look at what he has offered to us. First, in verse 5, what has he done? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Okay? So again, we didn't need cleaning up, or at least we didn't just need cleaning up, right? We needed resurrection. We needed to be made alive again, right? When someone is in the water and they, are, they have drowned, you do not throw them a life preserver and say, Hey, buddy, grab on, right? You don't start yelling at them and saying, Let me tell you how to swim, and if you can learn it real quick, then you can save yourself, right? That's not what happens to people who have drowned. Drowned people are dead. They're in the water. What do they need? They need rescue. They need somebody to jump in, to pull them out, and to resuscitate them, right? To breathe life back into them, okay? That's the picture that we have. While we were dead in our trespasses, Christ came and raised us to new life, all right? You're not a zombie anymore, Okay, you have a new real life. We were dead and Jesus has fixed that problem. But what else? What else was our problem? Right. Because we talked about two things. Not only were we dead in our sins and trespasses, but we had this problem of being slavish followers to those three despotic powers. Right. Those authorities that live in our life that lead us. And yet at the same time, we're willingly doing that. Well, look at verse six. Not only has Jesus raised us to new life, but what has he done? He has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay? So think about this. Let me ask you three questions. Where is Jesus right now? And the answer is, we actually talked about it last week um, and, and, and maybe the previous week too. He is enthroned right now, right? He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, um, And every rule and authority and dominion and power has been placed underneath him. That's where Jesus is right now. Where are his enemies? 
right? We read this last time too. The tyrants that we're talking about, these thing, these, these forces in the universe that have rejected God's rule, that have harassed God's people, where are they? They are his footstools now, right? They have been crushed and pushed beneath his, his boot, right? Um, their authority has been subverted. Their power has been subverted. Jesus rules over them. And then here's the great thing. So as a believer, where are you now? Well, Ash, man, I'm just down here in the muck still, man. I'm just trying to make it. Like, man, they're all over me still. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get out. Nope, that's not where you're at. Where are you at? You have been raised up and seated with Christ. All right, so where does that mean your enemies are? They are beneath you. Right. Their authority has been crushed. They sit at your feet as well because you sit with Christ in the heavenlies. All right. The tyrants who have tempted and tried you have been expelled from your life. You they have no dominion here anymore. Right. The only influence they have now as a believer is the influence that you give them. You are alive and you are free from all of this, right? And so, again, notice something about this passage, and this is why we talked about it's not, it doesn't tell us everything about the gospel, because one thing it doesn't zoom in on a whole lot is the atonement, okay? And that's really important. Like, we don't see much in this description about Jesus dying for our sins, which is really central and important to, to the gospel, right? There's obviously more to the picture of salvation than just Ephesians chapter 2, um, but there's certainly not less, right? And we get a good picture of what's going on, um, even if it's not complete, okay? And so, so, so far, what have we seen? We've seen a just God, who, who, who punishes sin, right? We've seen a rebellious mankind who is enslaved and also dead because of sin, right? We've seen this perfect Savior who has come in, who has rescued us, made us alive, and seated with him, us with him in authority, right? Okay? And then, um, we're gonna skip over seven for a minute and go down to eight, but then we ask this question, that next, that next step in the man, God, man, Christ res- response, right? What do we do to access this faith, what do we do to receive this faith, uh, to receive the salvation that, that, that Jesus has provided? Verse eight tells us, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing; it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast." Right. So, what do you do to receive the salvation? Well, in a sense, you do nothing. Right. Um, you receive something. You take what is offered to you. Um, you you rest in what has been offered to you, but you don't do anything in a very real sense. Right. You accept the great gift of salvation from God. Right. It's his gift given to you. It couldn't be earned. Um, you couldn't do anything to merit it. Right. He gives it to you and you receive it. Right. And no one would ever look to the person who received the gift and honor them. Right. If a dude walked in here right now. With a million dollars and said, I'd like to give this million dollars to your church plant. Like nobody after the service would walk up to me and say, gosh, Ash, thanks for receiving that money from that guy. Thanks for taking that. And just thanks for thanks for taking it. Because, man, if you hadn't taken it, I don't know what we would have done, you know, or whatever. Nobody would do that. People would ignore me and they would be over at that guy going, thank you so much for doing this. I mean, you can't we can't. 
Thank you enough. You've changed the, the, our church. Well, thank you so much, right? Nobody looks to the person who has received the gift, right? Because they didn't do anything. They just received it. They just accepted the gift. Everything that has been done has been done in Christ. Christ is the one who is exalted. Christ is the one who is honored. He is the one who is focused on, right? We understand as we look in other places of the scripture that even that saving faith in God's ultimate will and sovereignty is part of the gift, right? Um, that he calls us into that faith even by his own power. And so that faith just means trusting, receiving, surrendering to what Jesus has done, right? Not working, but receiving it, okay? And you see in all this stuff, right, that's the basic outline of the gospel, right? If you're ever on a plane and it's about to crash into the ocean, you got two minutes to tell the guy next to you, about salvation, that's it, right? Just bust your Bible out and say, buddy, we got to read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 real quick, okay? Um, but if you're not going to be dead in two minutes, there's one more piece that I think is key to the gospel. It's important um, to see in this whole thing, and that is, what is God's purpose in all of these things, right? What is he doing? Why is he saving us? To what end is he saving us? Well, we see that talked about in verses 7 and 10. Why has God done this for us? Because here's the deal. Um, in, in, in philosophy, right, there's this, this word teleology, right? It's, an, it's a concept of saying, what is the ultimate end or purpose of something, right? Why? And, and a teleo, te, teleology is an important thing. It's really important for everything in your life, right? If you start a business venture and you don't know what you're aiming at, or you start out on a, a trip and you don't know where you're trying to get to, right, you're going to have a problem. Um, the purpose and the end point of this whole thing is important. And so God tells us what his purpose for all of this is in verse 7. He saves you for this reason, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. All right, so what does that mean? That means the reason why God saved you is because he wants to show himself good and glorious to his people for all of eternity by pouring into them the riches of his goodness and mercy. Right? He is going to be seen as awesome forever. And you are going to be the people who see it and proclaim it because you are the ones who have received it. All right? And so what we see is this. The reason why God saved us paramountly is for his glory. So that he would be seen for what he is. And that is good and gracious and loving and kind. The whole thing... All of existence, and certainly all of salvation, at its core, is about God's glory. He is at the center of all those things, right? But then what's interesting, too, is this, is we are not passive in that process. Because look at that last verse, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. All right? Again, think about the, the significance of that. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why did God save you? Well, we just saw it was about his glory. But why else? You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Right? Not just to sit and soak up that glory, right? And be like, man, it's so great. I'm saved now. I'm going to, you know, go have a sandwich or whatever. No. Like, you, you, were supposed to, you were supposed to be doing something. You were saved for the purpose of these good works, which God prepared beforehand. 
that we should walk in them, right? From the beginning of time, God's already thinking. He's like, I want my people to act a certain way. I want my people to live in a certain way. And that's going to bring glory to me also. We were created for these good works, okay? And so, you know, I kind of think about it. Um, we've already seen this in the passage. Remember in, in chapter 1, verse 4, when it said, um, it talked about how th- this family that we were going to be coming into, but it was a family of, of blamelessness and holiness, right? Um, that's that picture that we see there, is that God is saying, you're going to be my kids forever, but not just like my crazy kids who are going around like busting up the place, right? You're going to be my holy and blameless children, children who I look to and am glorified by. I was thinking about, um, you know, as a parent, right? And there's no prouder moment for parents when you see your kid doing the right thing, right? When you watch your kid be kind or courageous, um, you know, or forgiving or something, you see them act that way of their own volition, right? There's no prouder moment on the part of a parent, but it's an interesting kind of pride because obviously it reflects on them, right? But it also reflects on you, right? Because you go, yeah, that's my kid, right? I've, I must have done something right, um, right? And, and there's, there's, there's this weird, interesting relationship between their good work and your earthly kind of pride and glory. The reason why I think that is there is because it is a reflection of our relationship with God. It's not that we look towards that and go, oh, that's kind of like us and God. It's the other way around. That's how God is. And so he created human families to be that way too, right? And so when we live a life of holiness and blamelessness, the kind of life that we are going to live in eternity, the kind of life that is filled with the good works that God has called us to, God is glorified in these things, right? God is, and again, it, it sounds weird to say it because I Obviously, it's an ultimate kind of version, right? It sounds weird to say it, but God is proud of us, but he is also, he's not more glorious because you can't get more glorious than God, right? But his glory is exemplified in us, okay? And that pours back into his glory, right? And so what's going to happen in eternity? It's just this big glory fest, Right? Where God continues to be good to us and we continue to live in a way that glorifies God. And God's goodness to us glorifies and our right living glorifies God too. Right? And so you'll hear, if you're around here for very much time, you'll hear me use this phrase a lot. Everything ultimately for the believer is about God's glory and your good. Everything. Right? Doesn't matter what it is. If you're a believer, at the end of the day, Bad things happen, good things happen, hard things happen, tragedies happen. At the end of the day, um, when we get to heaven, you're going to realize that it was all about God's glory and your good in some way, shape, or form, right? That's why he has done this, for your glory, for his glory and your good into eternity, right? That's the gospel, right? That's the good news, okay? God, man, Christ, response. And then the word I, I, we use in the acronym or whatever is kingdom, right? But you could, you could change it or what you could, you could sort of say God's redemptive rule on your life, the way God is changing you, the way you are living for God in, in these different ways. Um, but that's what it's working towards, okay? That's the gospel that we proclaim. If you need to tell somebody the gospel, that's kind of the big picture, okay, of what Jesus Christ has done for us. If you have not believed that message for yourself and you're like, man, I always thought I was a believer, right? Um, I always thought I was saved um, because, you know, for whatever reason, if you have not believed that, then I would, I'd like to have a conversation with you, okay? Um, I would like you to reassess 
um, what you have actually placed your trust in. Um, because that is, the, that is the, the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, here's one more reason, and we'll close on this. And this is why, this, just this little add-on that I wanted to, to put in here, because I think it works in, in what's going on in our, in our culture right now. Not culture, but, but the Christian community. Over the last couple of weeks, there have been, like I said, these several high-profile kind of situations. There's a mega pastor, a guy who is from... In, in many respects, our tribe, all right, sort of a, um, at least my tribe, um, uh, conservative, homeschooly, reformed um, Christianity, right? Um, mega church pastor, um, and basically he's kind of been a little flaky over the last couple of years on a couple of things. And then all of a sudden he came out and said, week one, I'm divorcing my wife. Two weeks later, I'm no longer a Christian. Another two weeks later, he was uh, posting about uh, – uh, he was at a gay pride parade, and he was posting affirmative things about uh, um, homosexual lifestyle and things like that, right? And so you go, wow, that's a big, that's a big shift, okay? Um, and there's another musician guy, and, and there's been a couple of just these different personalities, okay? Here's, here's one way that the gospel applies to those things, right? Um, because the gospel is not just important for salvation. It's also important for endurance, in the faith, okay? The gospel is the means by which we persevere in the faith, okay? The gospel is never something that you grow beyond, okay? You are always going back to the gospel. The gospel is the foundation that you are always leaning back into. Those five things that we talked about are always going to be at the base of these things. And yes, there are more things to talk about beyond that, but they're always at the beginning. And here's something that you notice, if you start looking, every single cult, and in particular, every single apostasy, I would argue, starts at at least one of those five points. And you start saying one of five things. God is not so holy. I am not so sinful. Jesus has done less. I should do more. My lifestyle is not that critical. Those are the five things. It's one of those. Every apostasy begins at one of those places. Usually all of them at the same time in some way, right? God is not as holy as the Bible would present. Good grief, why would he judge sin? Why would he send people to hell? He can't be that much of a stickler on these things, okay? And in particular, I'm not even that bad a guy. Okay, I mean, sure, I haven't done everything right in my life, but I'm not Hitler and I'm not Charles Manson. Right. I'm not that bad a person. It seems petty for God to to judge me and send me to eternal hell for these things. Right. And Jesus, great example. Right. And has done lots of things for me, but certainly didn't die in my place. Certainly didn't raise me to newness of life because I didn't need raising. I was doing pretty good on my own. Thank you very much. Jesus, right? And you know what? My response to this thing is, is not a complete trust and submission to Jesus Christ. But you know what? I just need to clean my, my life up a little bit. Do some good things. Be supportive and loving to my people around me because that's what God really wants out of us anyway, right? And you know what? At the end of the day, I'm going to live my life how I live my life. And I think God's going to be okay with that because God likes me. He's for me. Um, and and um, I, I don't think he's going to have a problem as long as I'm I'm trying to do my best and work through this thing. And you hear this kind of stuff all the time, maybe one, maybe two, maybe all five. You hear it all the time. And before you know it, it leads to 
apostasy. It leads to a total rejection of the faith, or at the very least, it leads to a Christianity that is so watered down and so indistinguishable from the world um, that it basically is not Christianity anymore at all. Okay? People walk away from the faith because they have forgotten the gospel. So I would say to you, you're never going to grow past the gospel. The gospel is always going to be something that you return to and stake your life on and stake your faith on. So I want to have time of prayer. Um, and, and this is what, uh, again, just something to dwell on. Man, the beauty of the gospel is something that we should devote. It should warm us, right? Um, it should stir us up. What God has done for us is the kind of thing that, um, that should get us excited and devoted um, and focused on God. Okay, And so I want us to dwell on the gospel continuously, right? But I also want us to be ready to share those things. Right? I want us to be able to, to have a conversation because you know what? If something is going to happen in our world, it's going to require um, us stepping out and sharing that faith with people, right? It's going to have to be us telling people the gospel. And the gospel isn't, you should come to my church sometime, right? Even though it would be great to invite somebody to your church sometime, right? The gospel isn't, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Even though God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, okay? That's not the gospel. The saving message of the gospel is God, man, Christ, response, kingdom. And that's what we need to be telling people, okay? So let's pray. Just ask God to continue to open our eyes to these opportunities. People in our our neighborhoods and teams and schools and workplaces and communities that we need to share with, that we need to invest in relationships with and nurture relationships towards so that we can have the opportunity um, to, to speak the gospel into their lives. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, forgive us where we've forgotten the gospel. Forgive us where we have um, stepped away from it or acted like we were too mature for it, um, acted like um, it was something for um, the beginning of our faith and not for something for the day-to-day of our faith. God, forgive us of the ways that we have treated you as less holy than you are, that we have treated ourselves as less sinful um, than we are. Um, God, in ways that we have taken away from what Christ has done, God, ways that we have added to our own works and own merit um, in, in the way we portray ourselves to the world. God, in ways that we have lived in sin and unholiness um, and acted like it wasn't something that you cared about, acted like it was something that you were going to um, count as insignificant. God, forgive us of these things. God, help us to be people who live our lives daily in recognition of the glorious gospel that you have shown to us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, help us be people who live according to the gospel. God, let us be people that are noticing those around us um, who are taking time to share the glorious message of the gospel. People who are not ashamed of it, people who do not hide it um, like a a candle under a basket. God, but people who um, present the gospel to the world as their only hope, and the glorious truth that it is. God, we love you. Um, we praise you. We ask that you continue to work your gospel in our midst. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.